Startup Life Hacks, episode 22. It's just a matter of knowing yourself, taking a good hard look at what are you here to do. Welcome. Welcome to Startup Life Hacks. Ever wondered if you have what it takes to start a business? Join us as we share with you inspiring stories from these amazing entrepreneurs. Let their journeys bring you one step closer to achieving success. And now, here's your host, Romel Cabal. What up, Hacker Nation? This is Romel Cabal, the host of Startup Life Hacks, and I'm excited to introduce you to our next guest, Robin Zander. Robin is an author, educator, and strategist with a background ranging from management consulting to circus performance. He has a desire to help people and companies keep pace with the rapid changes happening in this world. If you can't find him in a dance studio, he is directing the Stanford-founded Design for Dance Conference and also runs his own podcast, The Robin Zander Show. Robin, I'd like to get into the background of what your upbringing was like. What was your professional personal history that made you perfect for what we're doing right now? Yeah, well, thank you for having me on. It's, it's a pleasure to, to come onto your podcast. When I think about my upbringing, I guess there's, there's a number of different facets. One of my, my own recent guests, uh, a, a reporter and professional dancer named Josie Garthwaite Sedan, talked about growing up on a farm. And so I've been thinking lately about some of the, the early sort of <laughs> childhood labor and, and learning to use my hands that was just part and parcel of my upbringing. I should check what age I was. I was probably eight, uh, eight or nine. And my dad, one summer, took me, took me aside and said, okay, we're going to, you know, this plot of land, this, you know, quarter acre, eighth of an acre, you know, the size of a a large apartment, we could call it, for, for people mm-hmm. who aren't used to thinking in terms of acreage. Um, we're going to plow it, and we're going to plant pumpkin seeds. And, and it was, you know, the, at that age and with my dad, and sort of it's like, this is what's happening. And so I could complain or, or bulk, but like that's what was going to happen then. You know, I helped him rototill. We ran the tractor over that, that little plot of land and, you know, watered it and added compost and, you know, just did this thing. And then he brought out pumpkin seeds and was like, we're going to plant pumpkins here. I was like, okay, I guess, you know, so we kept doing this and it was, you know, a couple of weeks of labor, you know, over the weekends and when he wasn't at work and whatever else. Um, And I was tasked with, you know, cleaning up the the oak leaves and and picking the weeds. And then when the the plants matured, um, you know, in September or October, there were pumpkins. And that was like, that was pretty gratifying. But really what made the difference is my dad's was like, okay, now we're going to sell these. Now, Robin, you are going to sell these pumpkins to the neighbors. And I remember the first time, I mean, I, I put out a little box. It was like, you know, a little wooden crate with some pumpkins around it and a money box on the top, like just a, like just a little tin, tin uh, you know, where people could put their, their money in the, the slit. And I came home and there was money in there and someone had walked away with one of the pumpkins. I didn't even have like a price structure or anything. But we we eventually made a sign that said Robin's Pumpkin Patch. And and that first year, I think I made $500 around uh, exactly this season, around, you know, September, October. Oh, wow. Pretty cool for an eight-year-old. <laughs> and then, and then <laughs> the next year, I was like, oh, okay, 
I can earn some money. This is, this is cool. This is more money than I earned in my allowance all year. Um, and so it kept growing and growing and we did it for, I don't know, six years and, you know, did a bunch of like marketing around it. And I mean, it, it just, it became a thing where I recognized that if I give something people to people that people want and they, they give me money for it, it was like such a great, such a great game. You know, I really like the story how, you know, at such a young age that you were taught to just build something out of nothing and it takes time for something to grow. And then once you grow that that product or in your case, the pumpkin, then you're able to sell this value to to other people that need it. Yeah. It's also like it wasn't sexy. It wasn't entrepreneurship. Um, it wasn't even something I knew we were doing at first. It was just like, here's another task. But there was so clearly a need, you know, it was easier for the neighbors to walk down the lane that they walk down every night and, you know, grab a pumpkin for the holiday uh, on their way rather than, you know, go across town to someone else's big industrial pumpkin patch. I mean, we still, my parents still get people coming up, you know, with their their little kids saying, oh, do you have Robin's pumpkin patch this year? You know, like 30 years later. (laughs) (laughs) So does it still exist? Uh, No, I haven't. I haven't run it since I was in my teens. Oh, (laughs) So we all know how important it is to have a mentor, especially when starting a business. Who was it that you admired and currently look up to? Yeah, it's a it's an ongoing evolution. I think one of the reasons that I, I have so delighted in doing my podcast is I get to interview people who, you know, they're not I don't call them mentors, but they're they're friends who I get to learn from. Um, I mean, B.J. Fogg at one point, he's a, the, the behavior change uh, professor at Stanford who runs the Persuasive Tech Lab. Now he's a friend. Now he's a collaborator. When I first called him up on the phone, um, you know, and he, he has a, an app um, at bjfogg.com that allows people to schedule 15 minutes with him. And, you know, that, that's, that's how my relationship with him started. It was, it was very much looking to him for advice. But I'd say that most of my successful mentorships haven't come out of the desire to to gain a mentor but rather almost the reverse the desire to help somebody else so i I guess we could start with with my childhood um very much my dad was uh, and still is a self-made man i mean he founded uh xander associates which was an environmental consulting firm which he continues to run but ran you know full-time with uh a dozen or so employees for 30 years um, doing environmental strategy, environmental law, sort of environmental engineering, um, all over California and more broadly. And it was, it was a consultancy. It was bootstrapped, um, you know, no, no outside funding. Um, they just, they served the needs of their clients. And I think that early exposure, and I got to sort of the privilege in seventh and eighth grade going on some, some field trips with him, uh, going and, you know, (laughs) handling, red-legged frogs, which I'm sure it was totally <laughs> illegal, but like, you know, endangered species that he was, he was tracking, I got to go and climb through swamps um, and seeing him get down and dirty doing the work. And then in college, I mean, I was fascinated with human psychology, still am, of course, but that was my first exposure to research. And so two professors, um, I would call them mentors. I don't know if, you know, they were, they were doing their teacher thing and I was their student. And so that was a great relationship. <laughs> um, Alan Nuringer was one of the first students of uh, B.F. Skinner, the sort of the noted behaviorist. And then my other, my cognitive psychology prof was Daniel Reisberg, who publishes quite a bit on cognitive psychology. And then, I mean, after college, one of my, my great teachers was uh, Anat Baniel, 
in sort of the somatic practice that is a modern variant of Feldenkrais. Uh, and then, I mean, it just keeps going from there. One of my very dear friends today is, you know, a mother of a special needs, uh, formerly special needs child who I met in those days. And in those days, she was, she was a mentor. Now she's just, she's, you know, she's almost family. She's a very dear friend of mine. So I think a lot of these, it's like, what do I want to be learning next? And who are the people who are doing that? And then how can I help them? Or how can I be closer to them such that I can learn from them? You know, I really like this. You, you've developed like an onslaught of relationships that you built with the people that you uh, surround yourself with. And really, it's all about helping them first. And it's like a, a mutual exchange of value. Yeah. Uh, I, and I think I've done it both ways over the years. Um, you know, when I first called BJ, it was very much like, here's a thing. <laughs> I want to get to know you. Can I spend some more time with you? Here's, here's something. Maybe this will be something you're interested in. It turned out to be BS and not something either of us really wanted to do. But out of that came the opportunity to speak at the Design for Dance conference, which was then in its second year. And out of that came, now I, now I own the conference. Uh, and BJ speaks at it, and we collaborate around you know, related themes pretty regularly. Whatever those avenues are that I can learn and, and not take away from the, the time of someone who is very time crunched, but, but give back to them in some way, because I'm, I'm excited to learn from them. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that you can relate to this also, you know, it's hard to get some time off for yourself as an entrepreneur. I mean, you're constantly learning new skills and working with customers, but it's very imperative that you set some time for yourself and kind of reset your day. With that being said, what are a few of your favorite hobbies? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I don't think in terms of hobbies so much. I guess, as, as you said, uh, it's, it's what am I learning next? Um, and so one of the things that I found is really, really useful for me is some combination of activities that are, let's say, business-related, and for me, it's always physically related. So pretty much every single day, I take a class in ballet, um, and if I'm traveling, you know, work out in the gym or go for a run, there have been times when I'm doing more of that or less less of that, uh, and having having even if I'm doing 30 hours a week of physical training and you know 60 hours a week of business-related work. I find that they complement each other and don't necessarily interfere. So it, 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 there's there's always sacrifices. There's always trade-offs, right? When I'm mm -hmm. uh, dancing 30 hours a week and doing business-related stuff 60 hours a week, like my friends don't see me, right? I don't I don't <laughs> hang out. Um, I actually off you know don't really. I turn down most opportunities to to be social um, right now just because there's other things I'm focused on. And that's a, that's a conscious choice in some ways. And it's kind of a sad one in, in certain situations. Like I've definitely fallen out of romantic relationships because I didn't have time to focus on them. But I find that I do best taking a break from, uh, you know, a current entrepreneurial endeavor by doing something complementary but unrelated, whether that's physical or reading, reading a book about a, a related or a different subject, or uh, I have a sauna in my house. So, you know, sitting in my sauna and, and reading, um, or another one lately is I've been, I've never played stringed instruments before. So just the last two months I picked up a cello and I'm teaching myself, uh, just from YouTube videos and a couple of private lessons, how to play the cello, right? So how is the cello related to building a business? I mean, at, at the outset, it's not, but they're both all about learning. They're both all about uh, as Derek Sivers would say, personal development. And I could relate with that like really well because running your own podcast, running your own business, it's really hard to set some time off to to hang out with your friends. 
one of the hobbies that I do on the side besides business is, you know, going to the gym and working out to fulfill that need to be around friends. You know, I work out with friends also. So putting those two together, like it really helps. Mm, nice. So we're now going to concentrate on how this business got started. And maybe some of my listeners can use the same tactics once they start their own venture. So what strategies are you using to fund your business? Uh, so I guess it's a matter of which business. I guess I, I always have several projects going simultaneously. Um, my, my main gig right now um, is the, the educational startup called Socos. So we could, we could start with that one, and then I'm happy to talk about other businesses, uh, my consultancy that I founded with kids with autism and various other things in the past, if you prefer. Sure. Um, so Socos is three years old right now. Um, I joined a year and a half ago. Uh, and I was the first employee. There's three co-founders. Um, Vivian Ming uh, is sort of the one most in the, the public eye. Um, she's a theoretical neuroscientist, uh, mother of two, lifelong educator, um, just multiple time. I think this is her, her seventh startup or something very close to that. But we're bootstrapped. When I first started, uh, Socos had been doing just very much sort of small scale uh, consulting for for online universities, large educational programs, that sort of thing. And it's only, only been in the last six months that we have really taken what what's decades worth of research on Vivian's behalf and, and also online um, into learning and turned it into a product that people can use. So the product is called Muse. Um, it's right now for uh, parents of kids zero to 12. And it's that one thing that parents can do every single day to maximize the life of their child. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, for you and me, I mean, this is like, what would happen if we got a text every single day saying, here's the best thing to do, Ramel and Robin, for yourself or for your employees or for that designer who you're freelancing you know, alongside uh, to, to maximize your output, right? Oh, look, you got you know, limited sleep last night. Or, oh, from that phone call and you know, because we have access to your email or, or whatever information that you know, users decide to share with us, we can tell X, Y, and Z about you. So based on that and based on all of the research around human performance and education and learning, which is, of course, extensive, uh, spanning you know, generations, here are the little things to do every single day. So that's, that's Socos in a nutshell. That's Muse, our product Muse. Um, and, and it's, it's been a real challenge bootstrapping because we want to focus on this product, but we also really, all of us care passionately about young childhood development and education, right? So what would have happened for me, Robin, had I not had that exposure early on to, you know, with my dad doing a pumpkin patch, right? Like I, there's a lot of turning points <laughs> in my life where I say, wow, had things turned out differently, I would be very, very different. And I'm, I'm grateful. I'm a little in awe. It's a lot in awe of, of those experiences, but there's so many people who don't have those opportunities and, and we want to be able to bring them. So uh, we also have uh, Socos Labs, which is a not-for-profit uh, donating use to uh, sort of disadvantaged populations, both in the U.S. and abroad. Now, how would you describe the term bootstrapping? Yeah, no, it's good. Um, so right now I live in San Francisco uh, most of the time. And there's sort of two different thoughts around building businesses. One is accepting outside funding, VC, venture capital funding. And the other is the opposite of that, is, is building a company without accepting funding, which, which is generally colloquially called bootstrapping. Um, I think 
coming from business from the perspective of my dad who you know built a company because there was a need from his clients um and and having built a couple of companies in the past myself where like okay parents are asking me to help them with their special needs child what can i do uh i start not like accepting money is is something that you do as a measure of last resort right it's like mm-hmm. getting credit card debt like anything but that if possible and i i think that there's good reasons to but right now entrepreneur is sort of synonymous with like okay i'm going to take outside funding which i mean coming also from a little bit of an arts background there's this idea that a not for profit arts organization doesn't need to be profitable doesn't need to like oh we do good in the world therefore we don't need to make money which is which is silly <laughs> which is not the way businesses work which is not the way the economy works so finding ways to as we're building out this product earn money right unfortunately we have Vivian's brand and and to a lesser extent i think my my network and connections which have returned you know a lot of desire from from universities and uh, also sort of large financial and other organizations to to say okay here are some problems we're struggling with culturally um you know using using sort of our under underutilized data to make better use of our employees and and improve our performance as a company can you help us with that and we've we've been able to say yes in a lot of those situations um so it's doing doing consulting work as a way to afford time on on behalf of our developers and on all of us to build the product that we're actually in business to build Right. Now, as an entrepreneur, we are constantly being exposed to new learning tools to help create and grow the business of our choice. So, my question is, how do we moderate this learning experience and make it seem less overwhelming to the new entrepreneur? Hmm. What do we want to be learning? I guess is the place that I start there. Right? Yeah, I mean, we live in an age of abundant information, right? There's there's more you just via the internet than we can possibly learn. There's more books published every year than we could possibly read. um but what are the i guess what are the areas of deficiency um and and also what are what are your particular areas of strength what are the the things that you could improve that that would have uh an exponential effect on on the difference that you're trying to make so for me I'll I'll just stick with personal examples um at Socos one of the things that I think I do well and that I'm constantly working to improve is sit with my sit with our employees and and ask them questions and support them um which i mean i guess we could call management i don't really think of it as such it's more like how can i help the people that i'm working with build the environment in which they want to work uh and doing it with love doing it with compassion and i mean love isn't a word we use in business very often but i think it's very relevant um because if i'm able to you know it's easy in a time of of ease but but in a time of crisis if i'm able to be that person who is calmly supportive then then everyone is more able to be present and able to contribute and we're able to solve the the crisis much more efficiently and more quickly and you know hopefully solve it mm-hmm. um so if if that's that's my skill set or that's one of my skill sets what are the tools and technologies and books and experts and mentors and everything that I can find and use and ask questions of to get the most out of that skill set. Right? So then I come down to I mean of course uh simple things like Evernote uh and Slack. Um and what are what are systems of processing email that you know make sure that I don't answer email when I'm feeling frustrated. 
Um, I happen to love phone calls just because I can hear the other person's voice and I can learn a lot about them from, from the audio. Then, then books, right? Okay, who are, who are authors that I've enjoyed? And, and oftentimes it might not even be authors who are writing on those same themes. So uh, I recently reread some books by John McPhee and, and he doesn't, he's not, he's not a business writer. He's, he's a, an award-winning journalist, uh, but he writes with such eloquence and he's so curious about whatever he's writing about that, that the reader and that I reading his books can't help but get fascinated by a tennis game or a canoe or basketball or whatever he's writing about. Mm-hmm. And so learning from that model of curiosity to then bring it back into the domains and business where I'm playing. Okay. So it's really looking into finding the right tools that kind of complement your strengths. That'll help sure. accelerate your yeah. business. And, and, and also an eye to what are the problems to be solved? What are the biggest problems to be solved now? Sort of mm-hmm. that, 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 that focus, but also the willingness to, to change. So you've done some management consulting, and that's a great way for entrepreneurs to share their experiences with what they've learned and kind of help others who are at your position maybe five months ago. So when did you feel that you've gained enough knowledge to start consulting? <laughs> um, there's a great book, The Million Dollar Consultant. Um, and the, the, the big takeaway that I have from the book is every consulting opportunity is different than the one before. So when I started consulting, and it wasn't management consulting, it was special needs sort of quasi-physical therapy consulting with special needs families, uh, both at first it was in California, and then pretty quickly I was traveling to Buenos Aires uh, and to all, all over the world um, to support families. And I didn't at all feel like I was the expert, but I realized that having that outside perspective and having the story of like one other family or 10 other families or 100 other families who I could share their stories with this new family that's in front of me right now um, was, was incredibly useful. So I think we often overlook our strengths um, because we just assume that, that other people have them too. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I wouldn't say, I, you know, I, I don't think of myself as the expert at business that I'm a management consultant so that I can come in and solve another company's problems. But what I do have is, I mean, some of these tools we've just described, a loving attitude, the ability to ask questions. And, and an outsider's perspective where I can come in and, and regardless of how it's pitched to the people that I'm working with, uh, I'm, I know that I am there to help them come to their own answers. Because if I do something else, if I come in and say, no, you're doing it wrong, you're too collaborative, you want to be more competitive or whatever, uh, if they don't believe it, there's not going to be any lasting change. And if there's not any lasting change, then I failed or then I haven't, I haven't had as much impact as I would like. Yeah, and people think you need to be an expert at that subject, but you really just have to know more than the person that you're teaching to help them. Or, or, or even, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it takes a level of confidence and, and curiosity, but the ability to learn more <laughs> about what they're working on, right? Which is where the outsider's right. perspective comes in. Now, you probably have many of these, but describe one moment in your business when you felt like giving up. What was it that kept you inspired and to keep trying? Oh, that's a good question. I'll talk about one with my, my old company, my uh, autism consulting business, Move Autism. It's still around, moveautism.com. You know, I had a couple of clients. Um, I had just decided to give it, you know, give it my all. Um, you know, so paying rent and, and traveling and consulting. And, you know, I was getting a lot of positive feedback from a couple of clients. But then as I was trying to get new clients and, and turn this into a full-time business, um, there was just, there was 
you know, so little traction on the, like I, I was getting just so positive feedback, but, but my current clients didn't know how to sort of spread the message and I didn't either. Uh, I was relatively new to, you know, social media marketing and forming communities and lots of sort of tactics. Um, I, there was a point in the probably February of that year uh, where it was just like, okay, should I, should I go work at a tech job? Like all of my friends, you know, are, are either getting PhDs or working in technology. Maybe I should go do something totally different. And the thing that saw me through was that desire to be of service. I was seeing the difference every single day that I was working with a little girl who had autism and, and seeing the changes, not just in her, but in her family, right? Her family was getting more comfortable, was, was oftentimes when I was starting working with parents, they'd be in a state of traumatic stress because they'd just gotten diagnosed. And I mean, it was a really traumatic experience. It, you know, is a traumatic experience for a lot of parents. And so right. even though I was there to work with the, the kids, uh, often what I would actually be doing is, is helping the adult, the parent or the parents in the picture, uh, just come to terms and then take steps forward from, from this, this, you know, trauma from this, this challenge. And so every time I would see this little girl's mother, uh, her name's Veronica, she, she would be more comfortable. She would be more enthusiastic. She would be celebrating, uh, and seeing those little changes that, that, my participation in the process had made was just like, no, I can't stop doing this. I mean, I, I, I played it out. I was like, okay, so I, I just closed down my company and got a, got a job doing something else. Um, what would I do on the weekends? I'd be like, I would be of service to these parents. <laughs> right? <laughs> and what would I do in the evenings? I would be of service to these parents. And what would I do in the mornings? And it's like, I would make time to see these clients. And that, like, I'm going to do this whether I'm paid for it or not. I'm going to do this because, because I, you know, have my hands out and offering and they're excited and they're asking for more that, that desire to be of service saw me through. Yeah. Like seeing the changes from this little girl and the improvements of her and her family, would you see that as a great success? Would I see that as a great success? Um, I, I don't know. I don't think of the desire to be of service and success in the same sentence. Um, but, but yeah, that, that is what success looked like there. Um, it's not even just the changes in, in the little girl, but in her family. In the, you know, have I, to the best of my ability in this setting, been of service? Yes or no? And if the answer is yes, then that's success. Now, we are now entering my favorite round, okay. the superhero round. Okay. <laughs> so what is your entrepreneurial superpower? Huh, entrepreneurial superpower. Um, probably... I mean, one of, can I, can I have multiple superpowers? Uh, sure. Uh, so one is definitely the ability to ask questions is just, I mean, it's exactly as we've talked about. Uh, it's, it's something that I, I love to do. It's something that I think I've grown to be pretty good at doing. Uh, it's something that a lot of people have reinforced positively in various sort of types of career. And I've, I've come to see the ability that asking questions and helping people reach their own conclusions serve in across industries. Um, you know, I was, I was talking to a bunch of folks in the financial industry in New York last week. Um, and then I was emailing back and forth with an old special needs client yesterday. Right. And in both situations, uh, that, that has been reinforced. Um, mm -hmm. another is, is not just the ability. I think lots of people have the ability, but the delight in learning new things. Um, I am so excited to be practicing the cello, right. Never having done cello before. I'm so excited for, 
the possibility that Slack opens up. Slack is a communication software that's, that's recently gotten pretty big. Um, that, that it opens up a level of community development across industries that I haven't seen in you know, software tools previously. They probably existed, but it's the one that I've recently sort of glommed onto along with, you know, I don't know, a billion other people. Um, <laughs> and, and so not just learning and acquiring new skills, but the like, oh my God, I'm so excited to be learning this new skill. That, that level of celebration and enthusiasm, I think is another cultivated, something I've taught myself, but, but another superpower. Very cool. Now, what would you say is a kryptonite? I, I think it, it, it varies depending on what I'm working on. I, I, I guess the various things that I'm challenged by emotionally. Um, so in Design for Dance, for example, in putting on this conference, I, I work with a lot of volunteers who want to participate in the conference. And so people who are, who are all about, yes, and I want to participate, and I'll do this thing and this other thing, and then don't follow through. Right? And, and it's... Mm -hmm. and it's, it's <laughs> I was going to say through no fault of their own, but it almost is through fault of their own. It's, it's like, I don't, at all, I love it when someone sets a clear boundary and is like, I'll do this, but not this. I'll do this, but not this. But when someone is like, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to rock it and you'll see. And then you never hear from them. Um, so I think it's, it's unreliability is a, is a, one of the biggest problems that I see me constantly frustrating myself with. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mind if someone isn't going to do something. And this is, I guess, true across, you know, in Socos, um, even, you know, with volunteers and, and employees that I had at Move Autism. If, if they're not available or if they're too busy or if they're, you know, sick, like, that's fine. All of those things are fine, but communicate about it. Um, but so, so that's, that's, that's the thing that I am challenged the most by. Uh, and I'll also add that that if I, you know, I'm training myself, I'm trying to learn to become less frustrated about that. Because <laughs> if I can handle that <laughs> sort of situation more calmly, then like, even if it comes down to firing an employee, right, sort of the worst case scenario, then it is a, it's done lovingly, and it's done kindly, and it's done with compassion. And it's not just an F you get out, <laughs> right, which, yeah. which leaves a negative impact on the culture, leaves a negative impact on the long term trajectory of that person and leaves me feeling pretty bad. Yeah, so it's setting high expectations for someone else, but not having those expectations delivered. Right, and then and then getting upset about that, which I, I think right. we assume is part of it, but is actually a is is your responsibility, my responsibility as the people, the decision makers. Now here's a fun one: if you could have any superpower, what would it be? <laughs> Why? <laughs> so I've I've always said it would be to fly. Um, like, God, just the, the joy of being able to, you know, full on Superman fly. Um, <laughs> but I, I also recently had a conversation with Vivian, the, my collaborator, the founder of my startup, Socos, um, about what would it be like to have a, a magic room, like a, like a Narnia cupboard or closet where you can go, you can, you can sleep there, you can eat there, you can invite people back there for meetings, but like, you know, I was, I was recently at a cocktail, you know, thing. And, and what if I could, you know, with, with a whole bunch of folks in the financial industry and, you know, I hadn't eaten dinner and I was too busy sort of networking, meeting people, you know, establishing connections to, to sit down, do a meal. But I would have done that thing better had I actually like had a meal. So hop into my Narnia cupboard, have a quick bite, give my mom a call, tell her I love her because it's, you know, uh, whatever time on the West Coast. Uh, you know, hop out of my cupboard, refreshed, ready to go. I mean, what if we could do our, 
our gym time? Or what if we could, you know, carry on some of our, our personal relationships in, in a Narnia cupboard um, where, where time is paused in the rest of the world? It's essentially a time turner, like the Harry Potter, I forget, I think it's called the time turner. Uh, yeah. But, but if it's a physical space where we can go to do things um, that, that don't necessarily interfere with whatever we have going on in real time. That's so cool. Now, we're now entering the final questions of the interview, and these are related to the tools that you recommend that would help our listeners rise to their feet and get started. So what is one favorite tool that you use in your business? Oh, God, there's so many. Um, oh, like I can just go through the basics. We've mentioned Evernote. We've mentioned Slack. Um, yeah, you mentioned Slack. I, <laughs> I have come such that I, I have a hard time living without my audio recorder. Like I'm, I'm always recording conversations and meetings um, because then I can come back and I can sort of process that information later. It just gives me a sort of a secondary brain, a, a place where I can store information for later use. Yeah. So what is your favorite book? Oh, all time. Uh, can I go by genre? All time. Uh, just one favorite book. Oh, so it's, it's gotten a lot more notoriety recently because of, uh, Tim Ferriss. Um, but the art of learning. Um, which is about the the chess prodigy uh, when he was a child, Josh Waitzkin, learning chess and then learning uh, Tai Chi push hands. He's since gone on to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, is probably my most gifted book of all time. I've been giving it away for years. Mm -hmm. Now, after going through all the failures, all of the successes you've had thus far, what is one startup life hack you've discovered that you can share with our listeners? One startup life hack. Hmm. Be more appreciative. Just practice the art of appreciation. I found that most of my successes come when I'm, uh, again, what we were talking about, not needy, and, and the opposite of that. Like, you can't be appreciative and unhappy at the same time. It's like, it's literally impossible. And so to practice being appreciative for what you have currently leaves room for so much more, you know, exciting opportunities to, to come into the fore. So it's being thankful for where have you where have you been and being thankful for the people who have who've come to your life and kind of shared yeah. their knowledge with you. Or, or or even like, you know, I just lost this huge deal with a client. I'm I'm making things up right now, but right, what in this situation, which looks like a tragedy, can I celebrate? Can I be appreciative for? Right? It, and it's it sounds counterintuitive, but even if that's not where you or I want to fall at the end of the day, is like actually literally celebrating you know a sales failure the the practice of mental agility that is you know my dog just died okay this is something i'm going to appreciate rather than something that i'm going to feel really badly about um that divergent thinking is is sort of the phrase um but the practice of the skill of divergent thinking i think is uh underutilized and incredibly valuable especially in business because we're always going to have these downsides so it's, it's how are you going to react to them? Right. So for people who want to start up their own business, what would be some of the key pieces of advice that you would give? I, I just had a, a really fascinating interview with Derek Sivers, who founded the company CD Baby, sold it to charity for $22 million, is a three-time over TED speaker, uh, sort of a thought leader, uh, learns tons of new languages, both software and uh, human languages. Um, and, and he said something there that, that's really been sticking with me the last couple of weeks, which is, you know, what, what are you in business for, right? Is it, is it for the notoriety? Is it because entrepreneurship is 
is a hip term right now? Is it because you need to make rent? Is it because you want to support your aging, you know, parents? Um, is it because you have this idea for a product that you've been dreaming about for a decade and just like have to see it in the world? Or is it because you're solving your own problem, right? Like, what is the thing that you want that doesn't exist yet? Um, I think any of those reasons is, is a great reason. Uh, it's just a matter of knowing yourself, taking a good hard look at what are you here to do? And, and maybe what are you here to do that other people aren't as good at doing or other people can't do? And then playing to those strengths. Nice. I love it. Now, what is the best way they can follow you in case you want to know more about Robin Zander? And <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, probably the best thing to do right now is, is the podcast. It's uh, robinzandershow.com will get you there. Um, my, my personal website is robin, R-O-B-I-N-P, the letter P, Zander, Z-A-N-D-E-R.com. Uh, and yeah, I, I publish a new podcast about every five days with uh, all sorts of uh, artists, entrepreneurs, uh, sort of folks working at the forefront of education and learning, um, and and also of course dance. Um, so that's 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 where I'm sharing most of my my current thinking and thoughts. Um, shorter shorter form. Uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter. It's Robin P Zander at Robin P Zander on Twitter. Awesome, and everything will be in the show notes page. Perfect. So thank you, Robin, for being a guest on my show. We appreciate your time and wisdom. <laughs> But here at Startup Life Hacks, we have a saying to help motivate our listeners who are on this entrepreneur journey, that it's okay to fail and it's okay to struggle. So let's close by reminding Hacker Nation what our motto is and say it with extreme enthusiasm. <laughs> All right. Hacker Nation, stay positive and keep on grinding. Yes. <laughs> Thank awesome. you. Awesome. Thank you. Very much a yeah. pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today on Startup Life Hacks. To see how to get in touch with Robin, as well as the tools and books he recommended, navigate over to Shono's page at startuplifehacks.com. But before we close, I'd like to say a quote that I felt was relevant to this interview. This quote is from the late Steve Jobs. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life, and the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking. Don't settle, as with all matters of the heart, you'll know when you find it. Let me know what you think about this comment, what it means to you, and if you like what we're doing, don't forget to subscribe to get updates on each new show we publish. We showcase a startup founder every week, and who knows, maybe you can one day be a guest on my show in the near future. And for more inspiration, go to startuplifehacks.com. And as always, stay positive and keep grinding.